You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. I want to start with a question. Um, and I, I, I'm guessing I know the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, have you ever been mad at God? I have been. Um, in fact, I'm not sure that I'm not currently mad, not mad at God. How about this, though? Have you ever thought to ask the question of why you're mad at God? And some of us would go, well, of course, right? And you, 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 would, you would think of whatever situation or circumstance it is that's leading you to think or feel that way, and you would point directly to that, right? Well, it's because I don't have this, or it's because this happened to me, or it's because I wish I was more like, right? We would point to those things, and we would say, well, there it is. That's the answer. That's why I'm mad at God. But what's, what's really underneath that? Right? What's at the root of that? Because depending on the day of the week, right, some things may make us more or less or not at all mad. And we could find ourselves in the same circumstance or situation the next day, and we might find ourselves upset again. Well, here's my personal observation, and, and maybe I'm the only one, but I, but I, have, a, I, I have a hunch. I, I think that maybe, just maybe, it'll, it'll resonate. Whenever I'm mad at God, what it usually comes down to is that I feel shortchanged. I feel cheated. I feel like there's something that I was owed that I have not yet received. I look at my life situation, or I look at that thing, or I look at my personality, I look whatever it might be, I look at that thing, and I, I believe it should be there, but it's not. And listen, it could be something meaningful, or it could be just really just anything that's short of perfection that day for me. And it's in that moment that I begin to think that, that it's God who's the one who's being withholding, right? That, that God could remedy that thing, that God could provide that thing, that God could enable me to do that thing, that God could, right? But He chooses not to. It's like my daughter in the toy aisle. Um, we were walking through it yesterday, and we had, we, we're going to the beach next week, so vacation, so I'm mailing it in today. Um, and <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but so I'm going, we're, right, we're getting some toys for the beach. We're picking a few things out. We've got a few things in the cart already. And literally, we can't walk more than like six inches before Olivia has found something else that she wants. And it doesn't matter how many toys are in the basket. She doesn't have all of them, and that's the problem. And so listen, the reality in that situation is that I don't, I don't owe Olivia two toys. I don't owe Olivia one toy. But she's got two toys. They're a gift. But she can't enjoy them because she's singularly focused on what she doesn't have on what's not in the basket. 
And I think we can boil really that, that, that sense, that sentiment into, down into one word. Discontentment. Discontentment. And listen, discontentment is everywhere all of the time. And if we wanted proof of that reality this morning, well, we can just go to our text. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if nothing else, what we can know from reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that discontentment has been an issue for at least, at least 2,000 years. What we come to find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that comparison among the believers in the church in Corinth is leading to deep discontentment. It's leading to most of the church wanting to change their situation, wanting to change where they were in life, rather than to live the situations that they were actively in, rather than living out the circumstances that they found themselves in. They wanted an escape. They wanted things to be different. And so they begin asking Paul about, well, what does it look like to glorify God in our marriage? And if we don't have these things in our marriage, what does that mean? Should I leave the marriage? Should I stay in the marriage? Is there a way for me to get out of this? Because I feel like if I'm single, I have more time to glorify God. Or the single's turning around and going, man, if only I were married, I would totally glorify God more. Or if only, right? Everybody's looking for sort of an escape from whatever their situation is, and so Paul is having to answer these questions. But in answering these questions, brothers and sisters, this morning, in this sort of weird, like, middle section of the chapter, Paul goes straight to the root. He's like, look, I... uh, We'll talk about the nuance. We'll talk about your specific questions about marriage and divorce and singleness and all this other stuff, right? We'll talk about those things. But at the root, do you know what your problem is? You're discontent. And you're discontent because you've forgotten who you are. You're confusing who you are with what you do. So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you content? If you're like me, the answer to that question is no. If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? And what do you think that change, if you could make it, would bring you? Joy, fulfillment, hope, satisfaction. Here's what Ecclesiastes has to say about contentment. Ecclesiastes is a a book written in the Old Testament, so this is before Jesus comes, and it's written by someone who, according to the Bible, was the wisest man to ever live. His name was Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9, he says this, he says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is vanity and a striving after wind. What does Solomon mean? He says, enjoy what you have, better is the sight of the eyes, rather than desiring what you don't have, right, than the wandering of the appetite. 
Because dreaming about nice things, chasing after satisfaction, chasing after contentment in the things of the world is like chasing after wind, is what he says. Have you ever tried to catch the steam coming out of a kettle? No, because you're not crazy, right? Well, the next time you make a cup of coffee or the next time you make a cup of tea, all right, some people like tea, try it. Give it a shot. My guess is, my guess is that you'll come up empty-handed. There won't be anything there. You won't have caught anything. You won't have gained anything. You won't have acquired anything. Your hand at the end of that exercise will be empty. Solomon says that's what chasing satisfaction in the next thing is like. That's what chasing after the things we don't have in life is like. Be it a thing, be it a situation, be it a personality trait, be it whatever. It's like chasing wind. And so what's Paul's response to the discontent in Corinth? What's Paul's response to this constant feeling of, I'm chasing after something that I just can't catch? I'm chasing after a feeling. I'm chasing after a reality. I'm chasing after something that when I get it, it's going to be great. But for some reason, every time I grab at it, I can't get it. Verse 17 says this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. I love that little last line because that means, right, that he's not just talking to Corinth. This is Paul's rule in all the churches. In every church, everywhere, not only every place, but every time. So that includes right here and right now. What is that rule? That rule is that each person should lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him or her. So Paul's response to the discontentment that surrounds the church in Corinth is to remind them of who they are. It is to remind them that their life, that my life, that your life has been assigned to you by God Himself. And not only has He assigned it to you, but He has called you then to live it. So let me answer a question for you, for all of you, that I get asked all the time. Pastor, what am I called to? Listen close. This is the answer that you've been searching for. What am I called to? Exactly what you're doing right now. 
Exactly what you're doing right now. You're called to this. You're called to whatever circumstance, to whatever situation you find yourself in right now. That's where God has called you to. You see, I think a lot of times we tend to look at our lives, even as Christians, as sort of this random f- mix of like fate and our, uh, our strong will and then our abilities kind of play into it a little bit and our intelligence and all of it kind of mixes into this pot where like, th- that's why we have what we have. No. No, 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 no. The, the, the Christian belief, if we, want, if we want to think Christ-like about our reality, we believe that everything that is in our life right now, everything that has to do with our life, every situation, every circumstance, we've been assigned by God, and He has called us into that reality, into that situation, into that circumstance. Are you a barista? You're called. Are you a photographer? You're called. Are you a teacher? You're called. Are you an engineer? You're called. Are you rich? You're called. Are you poor? You're called. Why? Well, because Jesus called you. So what Paul is trying to help the church in Corinth understand is that it is not their vocation that called them, it is Jesus who called them. That means whatever you do, whatever we do, we're called to do in light of Christ and for the glory of God by the power of the Spirit. God has given us all of those things. And so, brothers and sisters, listen, I don't know about you, but this morning, I'm tired of chasing wind. And if you're tired from chasing the wind, this is the rest that we need. You see, what Paul is reminding the the church in Corinth about is that everything in Jesus, everything that we are in Jesus, every ounce of our identity that is now wrapped up in Him in light of His sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, glorious ascension to the right hand of the Father, right? All of those things that we are with Christ, in Christ, all of those things are eternal. All of those things go on, right? All of those things continue. But everything that we enjoy in this life, be it a vocation, be it a marriage relationship, be it whatever you could possibly imagine, all of that is finite. All of that goes away. All of that is temporary. And so, brothers and sisters, what Paul is reminding this young church is that their Jesus identity means rest. But their world identity means striving. And as Ecclesiastes has already told us this morning, it's a striving that leaves us with empty hands. Paul says elsewhere in Colossians chapter 3, he says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed, here's that word again, you were called in one body. And be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's that one that maybe a few of us might have memorized. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Brothers and sisters, there is peace in knowing that God has called us. And that He's not only called us to live out the Christian life in our respective life situations alone, but that He's called us to live out the, the Christian life in our respective life situations together. Right? So we're not just called to our situations, and we're not just called to live into those situations, but we're called to live into those situations with one another. Which is why Paul says, and let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And that's what Paul's calling them to do together here in Corinth. And so listen, if what Paul says about our life and particularly about God's role in our lives, namely assigning to us the life that we've been called, calling us to live into that life in the light of Christ, then what is it that we're really saying when we're discontent? when we're not satisfied, when there's something that's like off and we, we're not really pleased with? Well, if the life we're currently living is the life that God has assigned, called us into, then what we're really saying when we're discontent, what we're really saying is, God, what you've given me isn't good. God, what you've given me isn't enough. God, what you've given me isn't loving. And when we start to think that way, it can, it can make us do crazy things. It really can. Just, just read verse 18. <laughs> Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. All right, what's happening here? Folks in Corinth discontent with their religious background. And so those who were circumcised felt that their circumcision made them too Jewish. And so they tried to erase the marks of their religious heritage through what was, I'm sure, an awkward medical procedure. In the same way, those that were uncircumcised felt that their uncircumcision made them too Gentile, less holy. So they would take the marks of Jewish religious heritage through what was, I'm sure, an incredibly painful medical procedure. And what does Paul say, right? 
Paul's response to this situation is to say, hey, listen, none of that matters. And all God's men said amen. Yeah. What's Paul, what's Paul really saying in this? Like, does he really just want to talk about this? Or is, is there something deeper going on? Listen, Paul is saying, you do not glorify God more or less by virtue of your religious background. All right, listen, I grew up, I grew up in the church all, like, from, from we one all the way up, right? My testimony is the most boring testimony in the world, right? At one point, I, just one evening, for whatever reason, the reality of Jesus and eternity and the earth passing away became very clear. I can still see the, that, the vision of the earth passing away. It terrified me, right? And so I prayed, and then I went and talked to my mom, and we prayed again, right? That's it. And ever since then, it's been this really painful, awkward journey of trying to follow Jesus. And when I was growing up, right, like that was never the testimony that got picked, right, for, for the youth night. Right? Like, yeah, why don't you come up and tell us how really, like, everything's been fine between you and Jesus for most of your life? Right? It was always, like, the hardcore, like, I was, you know, I was snorting coke and doing whatever, right? Right? Like, and there was, I'm I'm just being honest, okay? (laughs) There's a part of me in that moment that's like, because I, because I want the microphone, you know, that I wish, man, I, wish, I just wish my story was more interesting. I wish I had a more defined point, right? I wish, I wish it was like Saul. I wish, I wish God had just, like, kicked me off of a horse, right, appeared to me in his glory and said, you, follow me. And then it was recorded, you know, for the rest of history. But that's not my story. But here's the reality. God is no more or less glorified by that story. He's no more or less glorified by any of your stories, by any of your backgrounds. In all of them, He is calling people of every tongue, tribe, and nation to Himself, people of every different color and kind to Himself, and He's proving Himself to be the universal glorious Savior that He is in all of those stories. Let's keep reading. It says this in verse 21. Were you a bondservant when you, when you were called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So not only are folks in Corinth discontent with their sort of religious background, their heritage, the way they express their belief in Jesus, but they're also discontent with their socioeconomic situation. Right? In Rome, here's what we need to know, right? So this is just a disclaimer so that we don't, so that I get less emails this week. Um, the, <laughs> the Roman institution of, of being a bondservant or, or, or a slave was different from the institution of slavery in North America during the 17th through the 19th centuries. Very, very different. Slaves, bond servants, as they're called here, generally were permitted to work for pay and to save enough money ultimately to pay for their freedom. 
And actually, many of them, after paying for their freedom, would still work their same job in the house of their previous owner. Servants were entrusted with immense amount of money and responsibility, and Paul urges Christian bond servants who can gain their freedom to do so. So that means there's a, there's a road to freedom that's, that's normally and cult- culturally accepted. And so all that to say, let's not, right, let, let's just be clear, right, Paul's not urging human trafficking here or slavery as we think of it, right? And he's not, in this moment, writing a treatise on the morality of the bondservant system, right? So, Paul writes very clearly about slavery. In fact, he names enslavers as those who are immoral, those who will not see the kingdom of God. So, he's very clear about that in other places. Let's get to the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate here. What Paul is trying to communicate here is that one can be content in whatever God has called us to. God is not more glorified by free men than He is by enslaved men. I love how God democratizes the slave and the free man. What does He say? If you're a slave, guess what? You're free in Christ. And what does He turn around and say to the free man? He says, guess what? If you're free in Christ, you're a slave to Christ. And so he says to the one who's enslaved, you're free. And he says to the one that you're free, you're enslaved. And what it all comes back to is what's at the core of every living, breathing, walking Christian. You belong to Christ. You are in Christ. You are so Christ that, 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 when, that when God looks at you, he sees nothing but Christ. Sees nothing but Christ's righteousness expressed through you perfectly. Sees nothing but Christ's record attached to you perfectly because of Christ's work on your behalf. And so again, there is no socioeconomic standing that has a corner on the market of glorifying God. Although Dave Ramsey might say otherwise. And listen, this is a Paul that a lesson that Paul himself has learned, right? That's why he says these words in Philippians 4, and let me just blow your mind for a second and read the verse before the verse that we all know. In Philippians 4, Paul says this, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for us this morning. Listen, I, I get it, okay? There's some circumstances and situations in here that none of us would trade you for. I know that. I know when we sing all, all broken, some of us sing that louder than others this morning because when we walked in, we really felt, we resonated with that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying, I'm not even telling you to just put on a happy face, right? We, we preached Job almost a year ago now. We know, right, that God accepts lament, that God hears our complaints, hears our cries, hears those things. And at the same time, the reality is that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because Christ is in us, because Christ, Christ has given Himself to us, right? 
And so listen, I'm not saying your situation isn't bad. I'm just saying that God has called you into it and there's peace in knowing that. There's rest in knowing that, in trusting that reality. And so here's what's ironic about this whole thing. If we just go back to the start, the question that I asked, have you ever been mad at God? Here's the ironic thing. What we're mad at God for is actually what we should be thanking Him for. Let me tell you why. Right, God, in calling us into the situations that we're in, in assigning to us the lives that He has called us to live, He's not being vindictive. He's not being restricting, right? He's actually setting us free. Right? The, if the lives that we have right now and everything that's involved in them, every situation, every personality trait, every, right, every, everything, every instance, every detail, if all of that is given to us, assigned to us, and we're called into it by God, then that means we don't have to be something else. We don't have to be anything other than what we are right now to glorify God. We just have to trust Him enough to follow Him into it. And so, brothers and sisters, let me ask some questions that maybe will help us understand this. Does God love us? Was God sending His Son proof enough of that love for us? And if those two things are true, then is God good to us? See, the reason I ask those questions is because if we know that God loves us, if we know that He's good to us and that He's assigned us the life we have, then that means one thing. My life, your life, is everything that we would want it to be if we knew everything that God knows. Did you catch that? My life, your life, is everything that you and I would want it to be if we knew everything that God knows. And we can know that because He loves us. We can know that because He only wants good things for us. We, we can know that because He's promised us as much, right? That's where Romans 8 becomes just such a wonderful thing to behold when we read, right? That He's called us to Himself. And that He's working out all things together for the good of those who love Him. That He's called us. That He's justified us. That He's now sanctifying us. And that He one day will glorify us. Right? That all of those things are happening. And they're happening in the situations that He has called us into right now. So everything that you're walking through right now has that end to it. Glory. Joy unimaginable, joy eternal. So here's the thing, here's what's so ridiculous about all of this, is that we would trade that on most days, we would trade that for the iPhone 10. Nobody's laughing now, right? Because it's true. We would trade that for finding the one. 
right? We would trade all that for just the right Instagram angle. See, Paul sets us free from that. Paul, through Jesus, in, in calling us to behold Him, sets us free from that. It says, listen, everything that is in your life right now, the wonderful and the bad, everything in between, your highest high and your highest low, you have a shepherd. He'll lead you beside still waters. He'll make you lie down in green pastures. He'll prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. And when you're with Him, you won't want. Because He's all you need. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Again, God, grateful to be gathered together. And grateful to be gathered together this morning, knowing, God, that in all that I am right now, in all of the wonderful things that you have done, and in all of the brokenness that yet remains in me, God, you are glorifying yourself, and you are calling me to live the life that you've called me to. And Lord, you're not just doing that for me, you're doing that for all of us, Father. So I pray we would take a step into that freedom, Lord, that we would rejoice in what you have made us to be, that we would rejoice in the situations that you have called us to, even though so many of them may involve real difficulty. And Lord, we pray that where that sin and that brokenness abounds, Lord, that your grace might abound all the more. And Lord, that that grace would declare your glory to a watching world. What would it look like, Father, for us to be a people who in a world of discontentment and dissatisfaction are content and satisfied in the gift of your Son? Lord, give us that mercy and that grace by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.